This is episode 19 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 19 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the Communications Specialist at the Center. In this blockbuster episode, we welcome our acting director, Patrick Deneen, into the interviewer's chair to host a conversation with philosopher Remy Brog, a professor emeritus of Arabic and religious philosophy at the Sorbonne and Romano Guardini Chair of Philosophy Emeritus at the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. Professor Brog is the author of many books, including his masterwork trilogy, The Wisdom of the World, The Human Experience of the Universe and Western Thought, 2004, and The Law of God, The Philosophical History of an Idea, in 2007. The concluding volume will be released in October 2018 as part of the Center's book series, Catholic Ideas for a Secular World, with the title, The Kingdom of Man, The Genesis and Failure of the Modern Project. Let's head into the Center's Marian Short Ethics Library for this week's conversation. Professor Brog, thank you for joining us here today at the Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Patrick Deneen. I am serving as the acting director of the Center for Ethics and Culture this spring of 2018. And I am delighted to have with us Professor Remy Brog, who is visiting with us for several days. He's participated in a faculty colloquium uh, as well as a colloquium with some of our Soren fellows. And tonight, today we have him in our offices here at the center. Uh, Professor, you are the author of many, many books, uh, many of which have been translated uh, into English. Uh, among them is the forthcoming book, The Kingdom of Man, Genesis and Failure of the Modern Project, which will be published at the University of Notre Dame Press uh, as part of the center's series, Catholic Ideas for a Secular World. In those many books and the many writings that you've published over the years, is there a theme or themes that you find to be at the heart of your inquiry uh, that in some ways binds together all of the various works uh, that you've written? Well, there are several Ariadne's uh, clues uh, in my uh, academic pursuits. Well, first, there is what I had to do as a university professor. I had to teach first and foremost Greek philosophy. That's why I wrote uh, two or three books uh, on uh, themes of Greek philosophy. Then I had to uh, teach Arabic philosophy. Uh, Well, and because of this interest, uh, this necessary interest for uh, uh, Greek and Arabic things, I was driven to uh, give a bit of thought to the way in which European culture, the the culture in which I sort of partake, or I'm trying to partake, uh, on the one hand inherited a great deal of things from uh, sources that are Greek and Hebrew in nature, and distinguished itself, on the other hand, from uh, the neighboring culture of Islam. And this brought me, I I hope, to a better understanding of what uh, Western culture is all about. And this has kept me uh, intellectually alive for 
some decades at present. And now, well, I began before I had to retire, since we have to retire on the other side of the pond when we reach the, when we cross the boundary of 65. Uh, before I retired, and now still more, I can devote my uh, intellect, what is left of my intellectual energy, to what is really interesting for me, i.e., uh, well, our present day predicament. Uh, philosophy is not that far from life that it should look down on uh, the problems that we are facing, that we have been facing for uh, some decades or perhaps even for some centuries. And this is the backbone of what could be considered as my magnum opus, as my main uh, work, i.e. the trilogy, the first two volumes of which were published by the University of Chicago Press under the title first of uh, The Wisdom of the World and then The Law of God, and uh, whose third volume, uh, as you've just been telling us a while ago, uh, we'll see the light of day, uh, if God will, uh, uh, this month of November, under the title of The Kingdom of Man. My leading question is, uh, well, uh, about the value or the uh, possibility of a uh, furtherance of, uh, well, let's say, the Western cultural experiment. On the subject of our present-day predicament and very much connected to the question of the fate of Western culture and this, this experiment, uh, you are um, perhaps most recently um, uh, have come into a great deal of public conversation as one of the signatories of the Paris Statement. Uh, this was a statement that has been uh, critical of what, uh, what is called in that statement the false idea of Europe – a kind of false universalism, the result of what is um, in, the, in the statement is regarded as a, um, a defective understanding of Europe as an enlightenment project, abstract, based upon a false conception of human nature, um, a materialist, economistic, utilitarian understanding, and one which today imperils the European project through this false understanding. One question that arises from this is your own view toward Europe as a political entity. Is there a European political project that you think could be supported that would actually prove supportive of a culture of Europe? Or is, in a sense, the effort to combine the nations of Europe into some kind of a union, uh, uh, was that fated in some senses to become uh, um, to take the turn of being in some ways uh, uh, ultimately destructive of the things that are at the core of Europe, in your view? Well, the problem is precisely the possible self-defeating character of what's going on in uh, the present-day European institutions. Uh, this story was at the beginning quite a success story, huh? Uh, because the uh, leading intention of our founding fathers, who, by the way, were for the most part committed Christians and even Catholics, 
their main intention was moral in nature and not at all economic or political in nature. What they wanted after the dire experience of two wars, two world wars that began in Europe, uh, what they wanted was to avoid uh, the comeback of the causes that could bring about, that most probably did bring about uh, uh, warfare between European nations, i.e. revelry about uh, the sources of economic growth, i.e. coal and steel. And at the very beginning of the European enterprise, of the enterprise of the European, what is now at the European Union, which was originally European community, which is not exactly the same thing, but it was at the beginning was the attempt at creating a common pool of uh, uh, coal resources and steel factories, let's say, so that... Uh, there couldn't be any uh, loophole for one more strife and one more, well, most concrete warfare between nations. And well, afterwards, the project slowly developed and became uh, something that the first founding fathers probably would have, uh, well, hated i.e. the idea according to which uh, European culture and a European cultural, uh, political, sorry, European political unity is something that could simply do away with uh, uh, not only the differences between the countries, between the nations that have uh, built a state in order to assert their identity, But uh, this project would wipe out the very sources of European culture on behalf of some abstract kind of universality of, uh, uh, well, a project vaguely led uh, under the flag of the human rights but they would simply say good riddance to uh, well, what constitutes European culture, i.e. the double reference to, well, to uh, quote the uh, common uh, well, phrase, uh, Athens and Jerusalem, i.e. Uh, classical culture, Greek and Roman culture on the one hand, and on the other hand, the Bible, which we have in common, we Christians, with the Jews. Hence, the uh, common parlance of Judeo-Christian culture, uh, against which I have some misgivings. You know, the hyphen, uh, well, is not always welcomed by uh, everybody, and first of all by the Jews, who have, well, not exactly positive remembrances of their symbiosis uh, with the Christians. Well, be that as it may, what the Paris Statement, uh, which you've been alluding to a while ago, is against, uh, is precisely this uh, attempt at forgetting or at doing as if one could forget uh, the presence and the secular, uh, in the chronological meaning of the term, the, the very long presence 
uh, of those uh, uh, cultural sources uh, in our European culture. I prefer to speak, by the way, of sources rather than roots. You know, uh, roots are a static image, you know, a tree can't move. Sources flow, and we have to uh, go back to the source in order to fetch Uh, water, um, whereas uh, if we are uh, a tree, uh, the uh, roots of which are somewhere, we simply have to wait, to wait for the sap to come up uh, into uh, the twigs that we are. And I prefer this active image of the sources as uh, involving the necessity of an activity, of an effort, you know, to get back to the source and to uh, take advantage of, uh, of them. What strikes me about listening to you describe the situation in Europe is in many ways its similarity to what I think are dynamics today in the United States. Um, in some ways, a division quite similar between one side, which uh, in many ways seeks to preserve a tradition, a kind of culture, and another which regards that tradition and history and culture as something to be overcome, as something needing to be um, transcended and, and envisioning a future world that, uh, that uh, in many ways abandons or uh, um, moves beyond uh, some kind of historical or cultural inheritance. From the standpoint of Europe and maybe even more specifically from the standpoint of France and thinking about a long history of a friendship between France and America that begins at the time of the American Revolutionary War. And we shouldn't also exclude from our conversation the relationship between France and the University of Notre Dame uh, founded by a religious order uh, that originated from France. From the perspective of someone who's writing and thinking in this, let's say, more traditionalist perhaps conservative in a, in a deep sense, um, certainly Catholic understanding. Do you see the United States as in some ways a, a kind of partner in the effort to retrieve this tradition, which we share, or in many ways as a kind of potentially a problem, uh, as um, um, undermining uh, as the kind of nation, as the nation that perhaps has been most notable in embracing a theory and a kind of ideology of progress. Um, where do you see the relationship between Europe broadly, France in particular, and the United States today? Well, there is indeed a likeness, uh, uh, common points between both sides of the ocean, and especially between France and the United States. But we should be uh, wary uh, of the symmetry <laughs> i.e., uh, it's not uh, self-evident that bad things should come exclusively from the other side. Well, I speak here from my French point of view. Uh, we more often than not foist uh, the negative characteristics of modernity, i.e., some idolatry of progress, 
on the American experiment. But let's not forget uh, to uh, probe our own conscience, we French people. I'm sorry to have to confess that we exported uh, to American campuses uh, a great deal of uh, highly suspicious intellectual wear. Uh, when I look at the uh, uh, cultural studies section of so many bookstores, well, I feel some sort of vicarious embarrassment by uh, looking at the words, at the works, sorry, of some deconstructionists, the so what you call here French theory. We don't call that French theory, to be sure. We say theory to court. <laughs> well, uh, it might be the case that the poison, uh, well, is, at, to say the least, shared. Uh, both sides are uh, uh, responsible. Well, anyway, um, perhaps we should try to give a chance, a further chance, to uh, ideas like tradition and conservation, provided, provided we don't. Uh, give a lopsided view of both. You know, tradition more often than not is understood as past, or as you say in English, passé, yeah? uh, is something that has to be overcome, uh, simply forgotten, or sent to the dustbins of history. Whereas tradition, in fact, is rather a dynamism that's an active process of transmitting. It's not, never enough to uh, sort of carry uh, intellectual and cultural wares from the past to the present. We have to enrich them. You have to further them. We have to improve them. We have from time to time to correct them. And since uh, you mentioned conservatism, let me uh, tell you how I got conscious of my being conservative. I had to undergo some surgery some years ago. They had to remove approximately one foot of my bowels. And when I went to the surgeon after uh, the operation, he told me, yes, we had to remove, uh, well, say, 30 centimeters of your bowels. I could have removed more, but I uphold a conservative conception of surgery. And what he meant thereby was, well, what, can, what is still healthy well, must remain, and what is rotten must go. And well, this is exactly what a conservative person has to do, uh, to uh, sift, uh, to weigh against each other what can still uh, be useful and what has simply to be discarded. But uh, we should not discard too much. We should not keep too much. Uh, if something is uh, rotten, well, it must simply go in order to uh, uh, give better, more, more elbow room to what is still healthy. That's the program of that I should call conservatism, and of course, no longer in a derogatory with a derogatory shade of meaning, but as something quite as as, as quite a healthy move, a healthy method. Yeah. Professor Brog, you've uh, I think painted a, a picture for us of um, 
a time of deep challenges faced both in Europe and France and in the United States. The, the, the Paris Statement itself at times paints a fairly bleak picture of our current time, a time of uh, kind of uh, dissipation of a cultural inheritance, a description of a world governed today by an aimless materialism, the rise of a disconnected ruling class that seeks largely to avoid uh, the rule of the people through a kind of form of administrative sovereignty, and in response, the rise of increasingly populist movements and a deep form of political discontent that we see throughout the Western world today, both on both sides of the pond. So I suppose in, our, in, a, in the final minutes that we have together, let me ask you a question that perhaps will leave us with a little hope. Uh, is there or do you see signs of health, perhaps in the sense of the, the part of the bowels that are still healthy, uh, that can be conserved? Is there, is there sufficient health in France, in Europe, uh, such that one can build back the health of the whole body, the body politic? Is there enough healthy uh, parts of the body politic that there might be the hope of a restoration? Or are we really in the midst of simply a long and foreseeable decline that we might be able in some ways to slow, but ultimately, uh, like all human creations and all human beings, death awaits us? Well, there is an aspect of your question uh, for which it would be apposite to apply uh, to the nearest clairvoyant. As far as I'm concerned, and to stick to visual metaphors, uh, well, I'm afraid my own spectacles, my own intellectual spectacles, are rather gray-colored. And I... I distrust my sort of my own pessimism. You know, that's a cast of mind. It's not an argument. Yeah? Something to do perhaps with my digestion or uh, perhaps my uh, bad uh, uh, remembrances of my nursery period. Okay, a shrink would tell us a great deal of things about that. Okay, when I try to have a more objective uh, uh, look on uh, uh, what's going on, well, I can observe that not all signs of uh, hope are absent. Some are emphatically there. I'm thinking in particular of the rise of a <clears throat> new generation of intellectuals in my own country, in my own French country, people who are eager to not only to learn, not only to endeavor better to understand the present situation by shedding on it the light of uh, philosophy, theology, political science, and social sciences of all ilk. But there are people who want to, to intervene, uh, to have their say in uh, political life. And this is a phenomenon that, I must confess, surprised me, surprised me that uh, run counter uh, what I described a while ago as some sort of ingrained pessimism. And, well, I'm very happy to have been wrong. And I hope uh, <laughs> that uh, those uh, seeds will grow and flourish in the future. 
among, well, young philosophers, young politicians, uh, young social scientists, uh, and so on and so forth. This exists. This is a reality. And, well, as an old man, I'm 70 now, I uh, welcome this new generation with great hope, uh, to be sure. As an intellectual, I have a certain tendency to look at reality, uh, well, from the vantage point of an intellectual, i.e. perhaps to overemphasize uh, 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 the importance of intellectual pursuits. Well, that's normal, you know, it's my, my job, sort of. But as far as uh, the French intelligentsia to this is a name to call it by, is concerned, there are emphatically positive elements, emphatically positive signs of some sort of renewal, deepening of uh, reflection. And, okay, I can condone all that and wait for, uh, for more. Please give me more of that. Speaking as uh, the acting director just this past semester of the Center for Ethics and Culture, I can also say that this has been an emphatically my experience uh, during my time being uh, uh, part of this institution and um, encountering such uh, wonderful, uh, extremely hope-giving students uh, that you also, I think, had the opportunity to speak with today. So on behalf of the Center for Ethics and Culture, thank you for spending these days with us and thank you for spending this time with us uh, on this podcast today. Thank you to Professors Deneen and Brog for the fascinating conversation. You can learn more about the Center's book series, Catholic Ideas for a Secular World, in the show notes. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast, which is released every other Thursday during the academic year, by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Don't Know by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. Good decisions.